On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about granny flats and other apartments that people build in their homes in Hamilton. The city wants to have a little more control on this, but the city also wants to allow more people to build these in order to help alleviate perhaps the housing crisis. We'll talk about what the city is trying to do with this and where it wants to go with this kind of thing. And we're also going to talk about the Canadian Football League. It was an announced it was announced this week that the league's start is going to be delayed, but that's the bad news, but that plans are for a season this year. Well, you may need optimism to believe that, or you may think that's very realistic, but we will explain what's going on. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. What we're going to talk about first tonight may apply to a lot of you because I'm assuming, I'm guessing that many people listening own a property, own a home. And generally, the government of all levels generally kind of stays out of what you can do with your home. You have to have permits to do certain things, but if you want to renovate inside or do other things, you know, generally you're allowed to do what you want to do with your house. But there are, of course, exceptions. There are limits. There are things that may get the government not into the bedrooms of the country, that's a whole different argument, but into the rooms of the country and granny flats, secondary housing units. If you want to carve out part of your house to rent it out or move out entirely, if you have a second house and carve it up into four or five rental units, that's an area that certainly gets the attention for the most part of the government and the municipal government. City council was talking about that this week. What should be done? Should there be more rules, more stringent rules? Should we have more care to make sure homeowners are doing right by renters or by homeowners? I want to bring in Councillor Jason Farr, Ward 2 Councillor Jason Farr. Um, He was one of the people talking about this at Council this week. Jason, thanks for doing this today. Anytime. Great to be back on, Scott. Uh, we have heard, and, and here's where the, this topic and why I wanted to get into this really, I mean, the, we know there are bylaws and rules for all kinds of things There always are going to be, but we've heard for a long, long, long time in this city, tons of talk about a housing crisis. We need to create more housing units. We need to find places for people to live. If houses can be divided and subdivided and broken into more living opportunities, is this something the city really wants to get involved in? Because would that discourage it? Or do we want to just say, okay, go ahead and do it because that will help solve our problem? Well, in some parts of our city, we've been in since the early 90s. So you have, and you're aware, a number of different areas, and particularly the older city where, you know, homes have already seen apartments added, first floors, second floors, and even some illegal basements some years back as well. So you're talking about SEU, secondary dwelling units, and... We do have a history, but it's been a very complicated process. You've heard about the rental licensing debates in past years of council. There's been division on council on rental licensing. There's also Bill 108 where the province has come up and now this particular government has said, and we're creatures of the province, and said we're building secondary dwelling units into uh, your policies. You, You have to do it. And so what we did the other day was formalize and actually make creating an SDU or two on your property on in the existing house in addition to the house within the confines of the original footprint or even, like you mentioned, Scott, a granny flat or a, a laneway house. Uh, we're making it 
actually with our bylaws that we've been working on for months and finally hopefully we'll ratify on Wednesday after two planning committee meetings and many more before that, we're making it easier than putting chocolate on cashews. <laughs> it's, it's cheaper. It's it's being promoted, and and it, there's a burgeoning interest for sure. Is this? You said it's been complicated. Are there different policies depending on ages of homes or areas of the city or something like? Why would it be so complicated? Has it not been a constant or a consistent? Well. I think in each community has had their challenges. Illegal units are one of the challenges. Some folks have done it without, you know, licensing. And so now you're getting into safety issues. Uh, No, no fire codes, no building codes uh, mean potential for, you know, public safety uh, issues. Um, Other parts are, you know, onerous costs. I mean, just the city fees alone. We we normally would charge about thirty five hundred to four thousand to create a secondary dwelling unit. Right now, if you need to go through committee of adjustment, what we're going to ratify on Wednesday, and I think we will, judging from the many debates, it'll be six hundred bucks. So, onerous bureaucratic uh, uh, fees, those sorts of things. From our end, we've we've simplified. We've we've really realized that if we're going to be serious of creating this, of you know, affordability potentially, um, and, but definitely uh, make putting it on the suite of options as we know we need to address creating more rental units in this community and every community. We've got to make it easy. And so that, that's, that's what we're doing. It's, it's important work, but it also, you know, there's going to be brochures now. There's going to be opportunities for, for the person you were talking to when you opened this, this segment. Have you thought about it? Well, now, if you're going to, if you've been thinking about it in the past, you're going to find out that, you know, it's not as tough as, as it has been in the past. And there's a whole bunch of, to answer your question, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it has been. I, I just touched on a few. Uh, it certainly hasn't not occurred, but now we're hoping, you know, citywide, it'll, it'll, it'll be something that'll be paddle, paddleable for a lot of folks. Jason, the other side of this, and I know this came up as a discussion point, is there are those who are concerned that if suddenly a whole bunch of homes in a neighborhood get divided up into a bunch of apartments you're gonna have a lot more people there it may affect property values it may affect living conditions whatever else is that if somebody or some neighbors decide to do that with their home i mean you may not like it if you're the next door neighbor but is that really the concern of the neighbors or does the city take the position saying as long as it's legal we don't mind where this is happening well, if it's legal, it's happening. Uh, if we pass this on Wednesday, uh, pretty much anywhere but the rural areas, and there are some elements to this that we're including in the rural areas. So, But it's not just happening willy-nilly. It's actually most of the work has been adjusting the zoning and the bylaws to make sure we cover all of those issues. For example, while not in Ward 1, 2, or 3, um, everywhere else you'll have parking requirements. So you won't be able to just throw as many beds as you want within the maximum 800 square footage of the maximum of two secondary dwelling units per property, not more than that. Um, and you won't be able to, to do other things uh, that may bring upset. Uh, so you'd have to provide, you still have to provide all of these uh, elements to your, to your plans. And then of course you'd be in the books and we'd be aware that, you know, this street has, 10 this street has none um this neighborhood uh might might be still thinking about it what we do know is from you know a lot of work from uh, uh, a number of staff and planning and consultants 
The take-up between now and 2051 is going to be about 5,000. That's the projection. And, and at that time in 2051, our population is going to be over 800,000, where we're at about 550K now. So there, there really is, this isn't as big of an issue as it may appear for some. And as for property value, I've heard both arguments and maybe you too. Some say, like Councillor Collins, he had some, he's not necessarily in favor of where we're going with SDUs, though Bill 108 puts us there and we need to have made in Hamilton solutions on our bylaws and zoning. Otherwise, they might be able to dictate that too. Um, he says it means property values will go up. And so there goes that affordable housing piece because if the property values are up, then the rents are up. Others have argued that, that yes, it potentially could bring property values down. I don't know of any proof of that. And you talk about real estate a lot in your program. And, you know, you'll, you'll probably agree that in most areas of the city, all we've seen, especially in the last decade, is real estate values going up. Number of years ago, I visited a friend who lived in Vancouver, and of course, their housing market is insane. I mean, ours is crazy; theirs is, you know, out of this world. And right. he and his wife actually, for a time, lived in a house that was built in the backyard of another house that was accessible only by the driveway. And I'm wondering if you know we've talked about houses in alleyways or mini houses or tiny homes or any are all those things on the table as is pretty much anything in consideration now in hamilton to try and resolve this housing issue big time laneway houses for three years have been on the table in ward two i, I, I worked on that with Councillor mccaddy over 10 years ago that's my favorite part of this secondary dwelling unit conversation actually uh, granny flat or laneway houses so separate builds on the property where now thanks to the work we've done you no longer have to go through that onerous severance process i can't we can't measure how many people were scared off by by building separately on their own land and if they created a home on their own land up until wednesday night if we ratify this the the pricey severance was thousands and thousands of dollars we're reducing development charges as well which normally uh, greatly reducing if not eliminating i think development charges uh, scott and actually greatly reducing parkland dedication so whenever you build anything in this town you have to pay those fees and they can be thousands and thousands of dollars so to help encourage and incentivize um and they're they're just great i mean in 1998 i read uh, and i don't read a lot of economist stuff but in 1998, I read what ended up being a bestseller. It was Boom Bust Echo by Dr. Capefoot. And it was all about what was coming. And that was the bulge of our population, the bulk of our population being seniors. And being an economist book, it talked about they have the disposable income. And they, they were talking, Dr. Capefoot, things that's going to happen in 20, 25 years. Well, we're here now. Uh, that has clearly come true. And I can't tell you how many people have shown an interest in these laneway houses, these cute homes you're talking about the back of the property, whether they're abutting a laneway or otherwise, as as a great way for folks to age in place where mom and dad can live in a, a smaller, more accessible, newer unit that they can build on the property so the kids and the grandkids can live in the main house. It, it's a very popular concept, and it's something you can do quite easily should this pass on Wednesday. The one other thing, and we're short on time, but I'll just ask this, is what about, I mean, we've seen many of these mini houses, people who watch HGTV or whatever have seen these shows on these tiny homes. Many of them are on wheels. They're transportable. Could you set up a home on wheels in your backyard or in your driveway or in a laneway? No, no, these are homes. These are, these are, well, Well, these are homes too, but they're just transportable. Yeah, no, no, this isn't uh, modal uh, homes. Uh, 
I don't even think, I don't think, I think we still have strength in our bylaw that doesn't allow that uh, living in, in a portable home because of, you know, building code, plumbing, those sorts of things. They're all factored in here. These are, these are genuine homes that we're, we're considering when we talk about SEUs, whether it's an extension to a house, a separate house being built, but smaller on the same property, meeting all the requirements or, or an apartment unit. So you have your bathroom, you have your bedroom, maximum two bedrooms now, thanks to an amendment by Councillor Danko, I might add. And 775 square meters is the max on size, unless you have a bigger property and you go to committee of adjustment and they let you make it a little bit bigger. But 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 a separate home, uh, uh, an addition or apartment within or above in a garage, that's what we're talking about here. No, no, we're not, not that's not included in this conversation, Scott. Lots of discussion. If people are out there and they're thinking, I want to make a few extra bucks, as I say, maybe now if this thing passes, uh, you can rent out, finish your basement, rent it out and make a little money on top. You may have someone living under you, which, you know, may or may not be okay, but it's an option. Jason Farr, Ward 2 Counselor, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Yes, Scott, real quick, you mentioned Vancouver and I didn't want to think about them after the last couple of games, but you also <laughs> well, talked to Donnie Monday night. And I got to say, I, I, after listening to the interview, I was on Donnie's side, his old school hawk thinking on how the Leafs should have handled the knee on me with Hyman. I just wanted to get that out there in case Tom Choice's real McCoy's Monday regular guest is listening. There you go. <laughs> Jason Farr, appreciate the time. Thank Thanks you. as always. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML leagues all over the place yesterday we talked about the ontario hockey league canceling its season the canadian elite uh basketball league today announced it was delaying the start of its season and the canadian football league today as i think a lot of people have expected was going to be the case the canadian football league today announced it was going to be delaying the start of its season originally supposed to um start in july now it's going to be starting in august reduced from 10 games sorry start supposed to start in june now in august um supposed to be 18 games now 14 games gray cup moved from mid-november to december the 12th now a lot of things but but commissioner randy ambrosi apparently saying they are expecting to go ahead as long as they have health clearance and they can put a reasonable number of people in the stands. Is this going to work? Is this a good solution? Are we happy with this? Let me bring in Rod Peterson. He is the host of the Rod Peterson Show, appropriately, which you can see on Facebook and a bunch of other places every day. Uh, he is also the former play-by-play voice for a long, long time of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, which, as you know, are the beating heartbeat of the CFL in this country. Rod, thanks for doing this tonight. Hey, good to chat with you, Scott. Thanks for calling. So is this the best we could probably hope for under the circumstances to try and delay, whittle a little bit of this off and then hopefully plunge into a full season? Is this the best we could expect? It absolutely is. And I'd like to salute the CFL leaders for the amount of work that it took just to get to today's announcement. But I felt like in your introduction, you kind of covered it all. OHL, CEBL, the World Women's Hockey Championship canceled today. You yep. probably heard by Hockey Canada. So there is another. So there was nothing positive in the world of sports as to where we're going. You know, the question, uh, like the reaction across this country, I'm not sure if you saw what I saw. It was everything from excitement from Canadian football fans to skepticism that they're even going to play at all. And, and I, I kind of sway towards the skeptical side because if you ask for a prediction if the CFL is going to play this year or not, 
What you should also ask is, how's the vaccination rollout going to work in this country in the months ahead? And are we going to be able to get the virus under control? Because the and Rod, yeah, and, and that, that, that goes to the very bottom line point of this. And I want to ask you about this, because all the other stuff to me is peripheral. The number of games and the Grey Cup and everything else. Yes. The CFL has to have fans in the seats and they have said they've acknowledged as much so that means you know you can say all the plans you want unless you've got enough people who are cleared to at least to go and have a reasonable number none of this matters you have to have that yeah absolutely and that all goes back to the vaccine and i'll give i think every time i'm on with you scott i um applaud randy ambrosi for frankly his honesty and for the most part transparency i mean he's done a lot of interviews on this topic today and then the you know six weeks ago when he dropped the xfl cfl collaboration bomb he's just been honest not once did he ever say that the cfl could play with empty stadiums and i'm fielding questions here today as i was sitting on hold i got questions coming from cfl fans from teams all across the country saying how come those leagues can play and ours can't and i just find that it's it's very confusing for sports fans in this country, Scott, because until the pandemic, we've never had to answer these questions. You know, we've learned so much, right? Sports fans in this country really hold the CFL in the regard of those other teams, oh, sorry, those other leagues, because they see them on national television every week. But they're not in the class of those other leagues. So <clears throat> my point, Grey Cup Unite Week last year, I think it was the last time I interviewed Randy Ambrosi, and I said, hey, I applaud the fact that you plan to play football in 2021, but is there any contingency plans if you can't get fans? And he said, frankly, no. And here we are five months later. That has not changed. And that's the disappointing part to me, Scott. I mean, your owner in Hamilton, Bob Young, I think if if any owner should go into the Hall of Fame and the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, it's Bob. He's so well thought of. But of all these owners, I think the price, well, I know the price is just too steep for them to play in a bubble like those other leagues. And that's the disappointing thing for the game, for the league, that is, for the fans, for the staff, all the people connected to the CFL, to not be able to find a way around the virus and to play like the other leagues have. That's very disappointing. But it's their money. And from what I understand, they're the ones calling the shots. The community-owned teams, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Edmonton, don't have much say in where this league is going immediately and in the future. That's my belief. Well, and the real challenge here, and it's, it's unfortunate for the league, is you've got three teams in Ontario. Ontario right now is the hot spot in the country. So depending on how that gets sorted out, Toronto, Ottawa, Hamilton, question marks. Uh, Alberta is also having its problems. You've got two more there. So five of your nine teams are in provinces right now that you've got some problems in. The one place in the country that you probably really wish you'd hurried along and got a team in there was Atlantic Canada. That seems to be about the safest part. But can you see any likelihood, and they didn't talk about this today as far as I saw, could you see any likelihood that if Ontario continues to have problems, the CFL could say, you know what, if there are other provinces like Saskatchewan or like Manitoba or like somewhere else that has a stadium and might be able to get some fans who might want to go to a game, could you see them playing games, away games, home games, but away? Well, they've, they've hinted that today. But if we're talking about a place where the Hamilton Tiger Cats need to be housed in Saskatchewan or in Winnipeg, and fed, and a roof over their heads, and kept COVID safe, and tested, no, I can't see a scenario for that. The only scenario I see is 25% in the stands and green lights from the provincial health authorities to play. And listen, I'm very connected to hockey. I'm working in hockey right now, the Western Hockey League. 
the talk is next fall the season's being pushed back for next year's season. I'm hearing five-on-five hockey in Ontario isn't going to be allowed in the fall at the amateur level. How many times, Scott, I'm sure you're following the same coverage I am, the provincial governments, the health officials, are not willing to budge on their restrictions. So while people talk about the global draft, the Canadian college draft, and the CFL, to me that's what you said, all window dressing. These aren't important things. What's important is Joe Biden greenlighting millions more vaccines being shipped to Canada. They've already sent 1.5 million. In Ambrosie's statement today, he urged Canadians to get vaccinated because that's what's going to get this league playing again. That's what it all comes down to. to. So to sit and talk about Eastern teams playing games in the West, if the COVID situation isn't under control, they are not playing. End of story, period. The fact that they reduced it to 14 games, and again, you said it, and I'll agree with what you said. I mean, I think that's the probably under the circumstances the best they could do. There, There is a number, and I don't know what the number is, that you would have to play in a CFL season for the season to have any kind of meaning and any kind of credibility. We'd heard before maybe half a season. This is certainly a lot better than that. But if it did have to be trimmed again, and, and I know that that's being negative right off the bat, that maybe this isn't going to happen as they describe it, but let's say. What is the, in your mind, Rod, what would be the minimum number of games a CFL season could have and still be sensible? Six. You think they could do it with six? Well, that was the plan last year. I mean, they had a full budget proposed for a Winnipeg bubble and was going to be a six-game season. And I know that TSN was on board with it. Their staff was told to be prepared to be in Winnipeg for a couple of months' time in a bubble. And I also saw the price tab for that. (laughs) It was well into the millions. And that's why they. I was surprised because my figure was eight. We were talking about this a year ago. But the CFL was prepared to play a six-game season last fall and pulled the plug on it, again, for the same reasons they're not considering even a bubble now. If they were willing to do six last year, why wouldn't they be willing to do six this year? And if that's the case, that gets pushed all the way to October now. So the August 5th point, uh, date, Scott, I saw people just whooping and running through the streets saying the CFL is coming back August 5th. And I'm like, no, no, no. They're targeting August 5th based on health restrictions. You read this off the start, Scott. So I just don't believe that COVID is going to be under control by then. The models that I've seen and you know, heard from Health Canada is maybe late September. They'll be in a position based on the way things are going. And incidentally, not, has this gone the way anybody's predicted? No. 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 Nothing has gone the way it's predicted. And, and you know, I, I also look at this, and, and one thing that was not entirely clear from the announcement today, it was a little sort of fuzzy, was they've said if a reasonable number of fans can be in the stadiums, but if not, significant, significant. Significant. Thank you. That's a better word. Yeah, that's the right word. But, you know, if if we think that a significant number could be in by September, as you say, would you start in August and say we're going to suck it up and eat the losses for a month? But, you know, again, you're running a risk that if things then fall behind, what happens if now you've got to play all your games with nobody? I, I, I think that's a very high risk proposition for the CFL to start a season with no fans, no ability to have fans in the stands on the hopes and trust that down the road you might be able to. I'm not sure they would do that. What do you think? Well, it's all it's all risky. <laughs> not playing is risky. Playing is risky. Playing a shortened season is risky. That's why I 
am trying to stay positive with what the CFL did today and am giving, the, giving them the benefit of the doubt. But, Scott, we, we're settling into a great chat here. I just want There's three hurdles that I've identified for the lead to get onto the play this year, onto the field. One, the COVID and the variant, self-explanatory. Two, money. They will probably get public money to play. I believe they will. We've had it happen out here in the Western Hockey League. I think there will be government step forward. More, Maybe it comes from Redbird Capital. I'm not sure. I don't think money's an issue or will end up being an issue, but that's the second hurdle. Where's it getting? And come by from? the way, sorry, Redbird Capital, for those who don't know, that's the people behind the XFL, and we've heard about the deal and the, yeah. pa- the talks with the XFL. So, sorry, yeah. carry on. Yeah, so hurdle one, COVID variant. Hurdle two, where's the money going to come from? They currently don't have it, or at least they're not willing to spend what they have. It's got to come from somewhere. And three, convincing all the teams to play, because there's a pretty significant storyline, uh, stronger than a rumor that the Argonauts Argonauts and Alouettes don't even want to play this year strictly because of the costs. You said, are they willing to eat the costs? If they could present to MLSE, the owners of the Argonauts, that we could play and it's the same cost as not playing, maybe they would agree. But that's a huge hurdle to get all nine teams to agree to play. And as we sit here today, I'm not sure they all do agree on it. Mm. So we're talking about some, what's it now, April, close to May, June, July, we're three and a half months probably, and a lot's going to change between now and then, but that's a lot of hurdles to clear and a lot of things that have to go right, Scott. A couple more things, Rod. What about you? I mean, six seems to me, as you said, six games, that, that's a worst-case scenario. That seems to... Let, let's not go with six. Let's say they can do it in eight games, all right? Let's be a little more optimistic than the worst-case scenario. Even with that, though, by the time you take some of the players, the American players who are playing for Canadian dollars who have to come up here, and then they've already said the CFL at one point has talked about a 20% pullback to until they get fans, whatever. If you've got an American player who's on a minimum or close to minimum CFL salary who's now losing 10 out of their 18 games, so more than 50% of their salary, are they all going to come rushing back to Canada to play that schedule for that amount of money I'm and risk their of- health? Not all of them, but that's going to be their choice. There's a lot of NFL players that opted out last year, and they're making millions. So believe me, I'm talking to the scouts and the personnel people. There will be enough players willing to play for basically nothing. You said the 20% rollback. That's on top of further 20% pay cuts. I've talked to agents whose players have taken a 40% pay cut, and all they can do is grumble about it. At the end of the day, this is just labor. How many people go to work smiling every day? Not everybody. Yeah, yeah. There, there will always be players willing to play. That's a fact. Yeah, it, it, the only difference, I guess, between us going to work and a football player is someone's not trying to knock our head off every <laughs> every, every minute of the day. So, uh, Rod, the other thing I want to ask, and this obviously the the big thing around here. I mean, we everybody here would like the Ticats to be back playing, but we are supposed to be hosting the Great Cup. It was supposed to be late-ish November. It's now December the twelfth. I don't know that three weeks in the calendar is going to make that much of a difference as far as weather or anything else. I mean, certainly one of the last time Hamilton or one of the times recently Hamilton was in the Grey Cup was out your way in Regina. And I do recall it was slightly yeah. nippy that day. You guys do tend to have some really nasty weather in the winter. That's not going to affect anything, right? You can still hold the Grey Cup in December and there's no big deal. Well, uh, Hamilton, yeah. I mean, I saw fans in Hamilton posting photos of December 12th last year. I don't think you had any snow on the ground in December of last year. People it's hit or miss. Go- they yeah. were golfing uh, Christmas Eve in Burlington last year. So, you know, there you can. Here, it was minus 52, that great cup. I'm shocked <laughs> that somebody didn't die. By the it time was a the little game was, Yeah, by the time the game was played, it got up to, I think, plus two. 
it was melting. But I, I, they wouldn't have scheduled this for December 12th in Hamilton if they didn't think the players would play. And the fans that I've seen said, listen, we're in. <laughs> if, if you're playing it, we'll be there. So I'm not worried about the weather. I don't think anybody is. Yeah, it's uh, we have had some Decembers that are rough, and we've had a lot of Decembers where, as you say, we may have some people in the stadium in shorts or uh, without T-shirts, but that's generally um, alcohol-induced, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Rod Peterson, listen, we always love having you on here. Thanks for doing this. You can catch Rod on his show every weekday, or every weekday. Uh, go on Facebook to the Rod Peterson Show. That's probably the easiest way to well, find it, but Rod, if someone wants to find it another way, how do they do it? It, we're on Game Plus television. It's carried on Rogers and also Kojiko Cable. Some of our highest viewership is in your area, by the way. It's on television every day, noon Eastern, Game Plus television, anchored out of Toronto, Scott. So we've we've cracked the big time. We're coming up in a year on national television. Well Game done. Plus. Congratulations. That's, that's you. fantastic you're doing that. And uh, you, listen, Rod Peterson, always love having you on. Thanks for taking time today. Thanks, Scott. Stay safe. You as well. Uh, it is um, it, it, There is some cause for optimism with the CFL, it seems, although as Rod says, we don't want to be the Debbie Downers here, but, but this is a target. This is a hoping for, this is a, we got our fingers crossed and our hands be crossed behind our back and all the rest of the stuff that COVID can get sorted out in time to begin the season, the beginning of August. Will it? Hmm. Hands up if you think it will. All right. Now, those of you who think that that's optimistic, uh-huh. uh huh. But we'll see. There, they are at least there is at least a plan in place. And here is why, as I say, this is an important thing. It's been since 1996 that Hamilton hosted a Grey Cup. This is the year we're supposed to be hosting one. It would be nice if that happened because next year Regina, Saskatchewan's going to get it. So it would be at least two more years before Hamilton would get it back again if seemingly if it had to be canceled or couldn't happen or whatever. So it would be nice if this could get sorted out. And I do agree with Rod, by the way. I don't know about six games, maybe, but you could probably, if you really had to and the vaccine program was going well, I don't think it's wildly unrealistic to say if you had to, you could start at or just after Labor Day, a season, a shortened season, and still have enough games to make it realistic and reasonable. But, you know, they say the CFL doesn't really start until after Labor Day. Maybe this will be the year we find out if that's true, quite literally. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.